Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Felicone. You're listening to episode 199. Tonight's episode is covering the top five horror movies of 2009. Um, so, Frank, uh, the way I wanted to do this was kind of just jump into the year, and then uh, after we're finished covering this year, have a bit of a broader discussion about uh, the rest of the decade as a whole, because this will be the end of uh, 40 years of horror now. Yeah. Um, Out with a whimper. <laughs> Uh, sell it to him man um now there's a couple good movies on this list i I, there's four good movies on this list and one great movie and one bad movie um so were there uh to just get right into it were there any um movies that you considered as your uh, also rands as you call them yeah i thought about putting the collector on there um pretty popular movie from this year which i kind of like saw slash hostile vibes to it mm. um i thought about putting Coraline, which i really enjoy the neil gaiman stop motion animation movie um but i've always felt like Coraline is kind of a ripoff of the thief of always the clive barker um yeah right novel so it kind of always pushes it down a little bit in my estimation and then i thought about putting drag me to hell just so we could talk about sam raimi um in this decade <laughs> <clears throat> But um, I'm what not... would you what would you say about Sam Raimi in this decade? I thought he lost a lot of like what made him great, like his indie spirit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I'm not a big fan of that movie. No, it's, it's a bad movie. Right. It's it's fucking fat fat ghost syndrome. So, right. just um, it just bothers me. Yeah. So, I was I was I really think... I I thought it would be better than what it was when I watched it a few years ago. Finally, and it was just not not good. I think this list is fine, and I think it's pretty indicative of the decade as a whole. When you look at like the different genres and stuff that it, it crosses, and um, there's a lot of like indie esque like spirit in some of these movies. So, mm-hmm. all right, get your um, Asian horror, get your yeah Norwegian horror. <laughs> um, what's the best Norwegian horror movie ever? Probably um, let the right one in. Mm. Oh, that was, yeah. I guess that wasn't a region, wasn't it? If you want to consider Kingdom, which is Dutch, I guess. Yeah. And also a series. Um, that's maybe my favorite, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, skin, not Scandinavian. What do you even call that? Nor- Norse land? I don't know. Like horror, but I really love um, let the right one in. We've talked about that. Yeah, that was just last month. Yep, just last month. Um, Yeah, The Kingdom, I need to watch that again someday. Um, Yeah, it's really good. I mean, as much as I've come to kind of not be comfortable with Lars von Trier, like, I still enjoy. Mm -hmm. Still enjoy that movie. All right, so let's just jump right into um, number five movie on your list. Uh, directed by uh, a director with one of the more appropriate names ever for a director, Tommy Workala. Um, mm. He's like just behind um, Steve films fake shit. Um, yeah. uh, he's directed a movie called Dead Snow. Um, it stars Vega O.L., um, Stig Frode Hendrickson, and Charlotte Frogner. It has a 68% from critics and a 56 percent from audiences so you want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh why i made the list 
So this movie is more or less an homage to like the early eighties Italian um, Nazi zombie horror movies, like um, what is it like the Oasis and um, I don't. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of them where zombies coming back from the dead. Um, we watch that, right? Yeah, zombies. The For some year, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what year or what list it was on. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so this is an homage to that, and also an homage to um the teen slasher movies of the eighties. So it's kind of combining those things together. Um. So a group of recently college graduated um Swedes is going to stay in this ski villa for their holiday or whatever. Um. The one guy's girlfriend is actually coming in on skis across the mountains because she lives like close to the area where they're going to stay. Um, there's this old asshole. I don't even know, like what else you would call him, like curmudgeon guy that lives on the mountain um, who kind of tries to warn him away with this tale of how towards the end of World War II, there was this like highly trained group of like Nazi commandos and ended up like dying on the mountain and they had gold that they had stolen and blah 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 so whatever i mean again it's like the very um very typical plot for zombie movies um, from the 80s um which is one of the reasons why when it first came out i really like loved it because it felt like such a nice throwback and this is in the era when it was a lot more difficult to get like older movies easily anyway so of course the zombies rise from the dead they start to massacre the people um, I think one of the things that this movie doesn't do well is it doesn't give you really likable characters and maybe that's just me, but like you generally don't necessarily care when any of these people are getting killed right. by the zombies. Um, I think the zombies have a really good look, um, in particular, the guy that plays, um, whatever it was like the head zombie the head of the Nazi, like, platoon that ends up, like, resurrecting. Um, and again, it's a typical, like, slasher slash zombie movie where people are taken out one by one, and then some people kind of get the idea of how they can survive, and so you see people running away, and eventually there's one guy left. Um, and the idea is that if you're holding, like, the Nazis' gold, like, they're going to come after you. So these people have tried to take the gold from the Nazis and this one guy who's kind of really the only likable character in the movie, um, his girlfriend put a single gold, like doubloon or whatever in his pocket. And that summons the zombies to him after he's gotten away and they take him out. Um, this is followed by a sequel dead snow two, um, which I did not enjoy as much, but it's pretty much more of the same. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really much to say about it. It's, Again, I think the practical effects are really good. I think the zombies look really good, which is, I think, maybe my favorite part. And it really is kind of a, like, a loving nod to, you know, like, Jess Franco and Lucio Fulci, kind of, um, just in terms of the way they, like, have the zombies. I think it's a little too tongue-in-cheek at times, which I think is what mm-hmm. really kind of puts it at number five on this list, where... Number one, and we've talked about this in many other foreign horror movies that we've watched together, without being from that culture, it's sometimes difficult to understand what the joke is. Like, there's certain things that are, like, made that I know are supposed to be jokes that I'm supposed to get, but I just don't get them. Right. And I think they try too hard the whole time to blend 
that comedic aspect with like really like pretty visceral like graphic like bloody horror um and i don't think it works quite as well as it should um but with all the other stuff that came out this year it's it's definitely like a watchable movie um and again if you like that genre of you know the italian zombie films and you'll find a lot to like in it i think it has one of my least favorite characters in any movie ever though um who is the film nerd Yes, that is always making the fucking film quotes and shit like that. Yeah, Yeah. and then is obviously like a proxy for the director because he's the guy that gets like the hot girl is like obsessed with him for no reason um, Mm -hmm. and ends up coming out and like having sex with him in the fucking toilet Mm -hmm. or outhouse, I guess you would call it in a pretty disgusting scene. Um, And I hate him. Like, I hate that character. I hate the actor. but yeah, I mean, again, whatever. Like, if you if you enjoy those early '80s, mid '80s, like foreign zombie horrors, then I think you'll enjoy watching this movie. Yeah, this shit wasn't for me. You are pretty much said everything that um I really had to say. Uh, it's gonna make me a hypocrite, but I I really disliked that it felt so tongue in cheek. Um, I would have rather it been taken seriously and that let the humor come from the fact that and it it's so complicated because it's like the characters are taking it seriously like largely except for they're not likable but it's like you as the viewer aren't taking it seriously aren't meant to take it seriously and i wish that either the characters would have not taken it as seriously and there would have been somehow more humor there i guess or they would have taken it more seriously or something i don't know maybe it's just the acting or maybe i just don't really like comedy horror but there are some i like i mean so i didn't put this on the list but there's a movie from maybe oh four or five called uh cold prey which (laughs) also takes place in um sweden or norway also is a group of recently graduated college kids that are staying in a snow lodge this time it's a um like a serial killer that's stalking them Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of real similarities in terms of like the setting the tone and everything but Cold Prey takes its subject matter completely seriously is, and is actually, like, a really unnerving and effective movie because of the setting and stuff, like the mm-hmm. snow and being stranded, which is a pretty, like, I mean, we don't deal with it that much here, but it is, um, like, a pretty pretty scary idea of being, like, you know, stranded in the snow. Um, sure. So, yeah, so just, if you ever have the chance to watch that, that's a much better, mm-hmm. even though it's not the same there's no zombies or anything it's it's a much better look at like you know horror from that part of the world yeah yeah i just keep thinking back with these things with groups like this i keep thinking back to that movie severance um which is a good movie maybe not like like a like a tremendous movie i can't remember what year that was oh six maybe and but how well like i mean i thought they established the characters in severance um where you actually cared for them and they felt like real people and like not like it it can still be done and people just don't do it quite as much and or quite as well as they should in terms of making people that are likable and that feel like somewhat real people and this is another one where it just didn't work that well um yeah i agree did you watch the second one by any chance i have seen it in the past okay I did not watch it again for the more of the same though. Um, yeah, 
I would say so. And not as good. Gotcha. More over the top, maybe. Hmm. All right. Um, Number four on your list is a movie called Splice. It is directed by Vincenzo Natale. It stars Adrian Brody, Sarah Polly, Delphine Chaniak, and uh, the incomparable David Hewlett, who is making his third appearance on the podcast after 1989's Pin and 1997's Cube. Um, has a I'm only giving him props because it's the I can't imagine he's ever appearing ever again. Um, it's 75% from critics and 37% from audiences. So, you want to tell us a little about this one and why I made the list? That's interesting. I wonder why. I wonder if maybe it's just like the long fixation on science that happens in this movie that turns audiences off. I think they're grossed out by the cons, like by the stuff later on. <clears throat> Oh, like the sexy stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Well, I mean, whatever. That's anyway. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, interesting sci-fi horror movie. I actually did not see this until probably about four or five years ago. I randomly mm. watched it. Um, so mm. this isn't one of the ones that like was you know something I was watching at the time. Um, husband and wife, or I guess they're not husband and wife. They're like boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. Um because he refuses to commit to being like her husband um science bioscience duo who are into genetics and um like i guess kind of like gmos sort of um they've created this uh creature that's a living sentient being that's kind of like a sea slug um there's all kind of medical breakthroughs that come with it um but secretly they want to try to splice DNA with human DNA and create this like human hybrid and the company they work for doesn't want them to do it. Um, so of course they do it anyway. And they end up growing this child in their laboratory. Um, can't even think what to describe it as like a, like a velociraptor girl or something. <laughs> right. I don't know. something yeah. With like wide eyes. Um, that they call um, Dread because in one of the greatest plot points in any movie in history um, Sarah Polly is wearing a shirt that says nerd and the creature when it's like really displaying it's like true like sentience takes scrabble tiles and rearranges nerd backwards so it says Dren so um, yeah yeah Fun fact. Anyway. <laughs> um now that you're describing this movie. Okay. <laughs> so Sarah Polly and um Adrian Brody, uh Clive and Elsa, um, one of the worst couples, I think, maybe in the history of horror cinema. Hmm. Um, I never believed that there's any like romantic attraction. And honestly, like if they didn't tell you that they were in a romantic relationship, I don't know that you would yeah. glean that just from watching it. Um, vacillate back and forth on whether or not they want to keep this creature or whether this creature is like good or whatever. I mean, it, it should have been a much deeper meditation, I think, on the idea of, and you know, like we've talked about this before because I always put these movies on, on my list. I love movies that are about like sentience and the soul and what makes something like an autonomous living creature and what makes something just you know, like, do animals have the same rights as people? And right. uh, there's all kinds of things that come into 
that could come into play in this movie in really like deep and meaningful ways that I think would be interesting. And for whatever reason, I don't know why they choose to kind of make it more just like a like romantic melodrama in a lot of ways. Um, and they do put that science, like those elements in it, and they ask those questions, but I don't think they do a very good job of answering those questions. Anyway, so True. as Dren grows, um, again, alternately, like Sarah Polly, like is protective and loves her, but then sometimes doesn't. Um, she ends up like taking Dren, like forms a bond with this cat because they put her in like a barn in the woods because they can't keep her where anyone can see her. Um, but then, like, Dren starts to become spiteful because she's growing at a rapid rate. So she goes through her, like, you know, like, pubescence, maybe, like, a month into her lifespan. So um, rebellious and acts shitty and stuff. She ends up killing her cat, and then Sarah Polly cuts this. She has a stinger on her tail, and Sarah Polly cuts it off. Um, Sarah Polly is a very unlikable character in this movie. Like, it was really surprising to me just how absolutely self-centered and anti-scientific she is, kind yes. of, in a lot of ways. Like, it's she's very emotional in her reactions to things, which kind of flies in the face of how she's portrayed by other characters, like, you know, describing her in the movie. Right. Right. Um, Adrian Brody ends up having sex with Dren um, because Dren has pheromone powers or whatever. Um, let me think how this happens. So this is the like the first movie I watched out of this list, and it was a million years ago when we first when we started doing it. Um, so Polly, Adrian Brody gets killed by Dren. And then, because it rises back from the dead as, like, a man. Mm -hmm. After she kills Brody, and then Sarah Polly ends up, like, bashing her head in. And then it's implied, or no, it's not even implied. Then at the end of the movie, you find out that Sarah Polly is impregnated because Dren, Mandren, like, rapes Sarah Polly, that she's impregnated her. And the corporation is going to pay Sarah Polly to keep it quiet, but like give birth to the baby. Yeah. Um, which I also thought was a really dumb plot point. Yes. And then there's like the the long lasting shot of them staring out the uh, big window in the the skyscraper, which kind of like gives this impression that it's like this is going to be the last time you kind of like see like basically almost like an antichrist type thing. She's going to like give birth to this thing that's going to destroy humanity or something. That's the implication, I think, with that last shot. Yeah. Which I thought was Um, really over the top at the end. So my what I like about this movie um I, I I really like movies that ask those kind of questions like mm-hmm. how far is too far with science or how much culpability does the scientist have for the creature that it creates and um what equates sentience in a <clears throat> you know like a, a, a thing that does does something that's made in the laboratory actually have life? Does it actually have sentience? Does it actually have rights? 
And all these things could have been answered in a much more interesting way if you take the romantic relationship between the two lead characters out of this movie, I think. Because they spend too much time trying to make that plot point matter. And I really feel like there's no chemistry between Sarah Polly and Adrian Brody. No. In addition to trying to shoehorn this like familial relationship drama between Brody and his brother, who works in their laboratory with him. Um, I don't know. It's like we talked about... Um, uh, shit, why can't I think of the name of that movie? That movie from the 70s about the the Andromeda stream. So we talked about the Andromeda mm. stream. It was like too dry, kind of, in the science. And then to me, this is the exact opposite of that, where it's just not dry enough. Like, it's it's so loose with the science and the the philosophy of, like... Do they, they, the they high-five at one point and say, double helix! Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Dren looks good. Um, I think it's yeah. a, I actually really like the way that their um, sea slug creatures that they create look. Um, there's actually a really great scene where they have to introduce these, um, these other creatures that they put no time into because they're obsessed with trying to raise Dren. Um, so they have to, give a demonstration to this board of directors and they think that it's just going to go the way it's always gone. And their two creatures basically eviscerate each other with, um, (laughs) these, uh, like long, like spike appendages that come out of their asses. And it's, um, it's a pretty, it's actually kind of a funny scene because like, they just like spray the audience with blood or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, 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 it's effective and that's stuff I like. And that's what I would have liked to have seen more. Like, Maybe like competing, like they each like had created some kind of creature or whatever, um, or they were both like. You could even, if you wanted to add like the weird like psychosexual element to it, you could have done it where the creature was like trying to woo both of them at different times, mm-hmm. but making them a couple and having them have their domestic squabbles and making this creature that they created in a laboratory be this kind of um analogous to like their lack of having a child together or his inability to commit it's just dumb i don't know um i still thought it was a better movie than dead snow in terms of like overall plot and everything but um and it's 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 a fine movie um just not not as great as it could have been yeah, agreed. It has its flaws. Um, I'll def- I'll, I'll defend the movie more though. I thought this was really uncomfortable to watch. Um, and maybe not for all the right reasons, but um, I I was really into it and like like was paying pretty close attention because I thought found both of the main characters really detestable, um, both in their personalities and in their choices. Um, so in some degree, it was like a hate watch almost because I like hated these characters so much because they're the most unethical sure. scientists. And it was really hard to watch at times, like in terms of how just the gross uh, malfeasance and uh, abuse and stuff like that, like you talked about with the Polly character uh, towards Dren. Um, I thought it like really starts falling apart right around probably that time where it's like Dren's like wanting to like fuck Adrian Brody 
um, is where it start, slowly starts, and then it just kind of like that whole movie just falls off a cliff after he dies and all, like that whole thing out in like outside and stuff like that. I just thought was like kind of a mess. Like, like okay, that's the end, that's great, but it's like I just thought it was like really messy. Like in terms of the filmmaking, it was like the things were just happening. Like Dren's turning into a male. Okay, like I mean. It's just it's just weird. It just gets weird and um it doesn't really have a satisfying conclusion to me, like necessarily. So um, you know what actually really bothered me about all that is um it's really weights it they they get too schlocky sometimes with the way they present things. You actually when you said that I just was reminded of a scene when they chase Dren onto the roof and all of a sudden she has wings. Mm-hmm. And it really reminded me of like that shitty Jeepers Creepers movie from last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it was just silly and yeah. I don't know, like an unnecessary scene. People like trying to get someone from off the ledge on top of a house. Like you live in a house. How easy would it be for you to climb onto your roof if you wanted to? Like just right now, like go get on the roof. Me go get on the roof. I mean, mm-hmm. I would have to go out into the uh mud room get a ladder and set up that ladder and then get up on the roof you can't use the ladder because you oh. gotta be able to somehow get onto the roof without i have to get ladder. onto the roof without a ladder right because everybody always does i mean i could attempt and i would fail to get up on the brick on that patio out there and like grab on and mm. see if i could pull myself up but um it wouldn't work that'd be rough i could attempt so no it'd be very difficult short answer anyway that's twice can you imagine adrian brody in any relationship just be honest in a movie um working like with like a corpse maybe or something i don't know i mean adrian brody i i don't I don't I I just can't picture it like Adrian Brody like having like a like a like a relationship with somebody on screen like that's like that works um talk about uncomfortable like just looking at that dude exists I mean he works really well at times in things like uh Wes Anderson movies and stuff like that like you know but it's like again he's not like he's just too I'm sure some people find him like, you know, like Hansel maybe or something like that. I don't know who those people are or attracted, but it's like I the reason he works in Wes Anderson movies is because there's not a lot of like like uh romance in those movies ultimately, except with the exception of like a few key plot lines in different movies. Um he's not like yeah, I guess that's why he's not a leading man. Cause like uh Peter Jackson tried to make him that, right? Like that he was the lead in King Kong, right? Yes. Yeah. And it just didn't never panned out like for him. And I think it's just because he's just yeah. Angular and I don't know. Um He always looks sickly to me too. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's true. Um but yeah, uh, I I, th- I found this movie really fascinating, particularly for the first half of it, but again it was kind of because I just hated the character so much, um, and their choices. But um it does kind of fall apart the the more you watch it, but um, kind of captivating for a while to me. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, number three on your list is directed by Paul Solette. It is called Grace, 
man, a lot of one word titles this this, mm. this year. Uh stars Jordan Ladd, uh Gabrielle Rose, and Samantha Ferris has a 72% from critics and a 31% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little about this movie and why I made the list? Um married couple, um Madeline and Michael <clears throat> trying really hard to get pregnant. Um they do on the way back from something I can't remember they're driving from somewhere um there's this ridiculous car accident where Michael is killed and Madeline is thrown from the car and um her baby is uh, like injured in the womb so they tell her that the baby is dead um they take her to the hospital I guess and um no that's where they're coming back from because something happened and she had to go she went to the hospital even though she didn't want to and then the mother-in-law had this like creepy doctor that was trying to get her to basically like abort the baby um but then she didn't want to and i don't know whatever that that part doesn't matter so except for it takes up like 25 minutes of the fucking yeah, movie really, really long part of the movie yeah. well because they're establishing the whole like right yeah uncomfortable relationship yeah. anyway <laughs> so even though she's told that her baby is stillborn um she wants to carry it to term um which she does and then when the baby um is birthed um it's alive still somehow um right. except you find out that the baby's not really alive that the baby's actually like this zombie or maybe vampire almost kind of um where it's like rotting from the inside and it only can eat blood um so of course um madeline is uh, like psychotic basically at that point um where she's still trying to pretend that um the baby's okay even though like it stinks and um there's this weird subplot where uh, the uh, wet nurse that was going to help to birth the baby. Wet nurse is not the right term. What do they call those? Um, uh, the midwife? Midwife, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, was actually in love with Madeline. Like, There's like this lesbian connection between the two of them. Um, so Madeline ends up killing the creepy doctor. Um, also ends up killing um, her mother-in-law. Um when her mother-in-law comes and tries to steal grace from her um the lesbian midwife um eventually like i guess takes her and they drive off into the sunset together kind of it's a really weird ending um where madeline's continuing to nurse grace um, even though, like, she's fully aware that Grace is, like, not a normal, like, you know, human. Um, and I guess just sort of implies that they're going to have, like, this crazy non-traditional family relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really do this movie any justice just now describing it because there's a lot of parts that it's really just, like, long stretches of like you said, like the first 25 minutes, like establishing. So, all right. I have a couple of questions about this movie. So I think there's a lot of interesting things that happen here. Um, 
she is not in love with her husband, right? Like she's only with a man so she can get a child. Because she's really gay, I think. I don't know. I don't know if I got that impression. I I, I think that she was just with a dude who's thinks he knows uh, who's just the fucking typical dude who thinks he knows everything and you know and and wants things to be the way that he wants them and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that she was uh, not in love with him in the beginning of that movie, but I don't know if I necessarily got that she was just, she was just with a man. Cause that's what you're supposed to do. I think, but it's like, um, I don't know if I got any like uh homosexual vibes off of her necessarily, but she was definitely in a relationship with the midwife prior to being with the man. Yes. Like they were in a lesbian relationship. Yes, but I don't know if I got the sense that it's like mm. that was like her current life, or like you know, or maybe it, I mean maybe it's like a bisexuality she repressed. I, I didn't get the fact that it's like she's obviously homosexual and is just doing this to get a kid because it's like I don't know in those communities you would be able to find somebody better than this fucking asshole like to have yeah, a kid with. He has money and his family has money. Yeah. I mean, there's the scene where the opening scene in the movie where she's having sex with her husband, where she's obviously not into it at all. Sure. And then immediately, like, rolls yeah. back on her back to hold the the semen in so she can yes. get impregnated. Yeah, yeah. I, I took it more as, like, leading a traditional life as opposed to it necessarily involving sexual and then so much. Why do you bring this woman back into your life to help you birth the baby that you've had a lesbian relationship with before? That's why I just think, like, I think there's something there. I don't, I don't know what I think. The reason I like this movie and why it's number three on this list, um, and it's it's a fine movie, like it's well directed. I think the performances are pretty good. Um, the reason I put it on this list is because I think that it's a really interesting look at like body autonomy and mm. what right does a woman have to make her own decisions about you know the life that she carries inside her or what someone else is going to do with it um mm-hmm. and that's why I really like the first like 20 minutes of the movie even though not much happens when they introduce the Dr. Sohn character um because I think it does ask those questions and I think that especially even like today um it's important to keep asking those questions considering the climate that we live in mm-hmm. um I think the idea of the um, the fetus um, being like undead inside the womb is an interesting concept. Um, you don't really get to see that. Like, I mean, we that happens in what that that Dawn of the Dead movie, but right. that's not something necessarily that happens a lot. Usually, it's like a demon in the womb or whatever. True. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. I thought it asked some interesting questions. Um, I thought it was appropriately bloody at times, and it was uncomfortable at times as well, um, which I really enjoyed. And I don't know, yeah, just yeah, it was a fine movie. It picked up after that twenty-five minutes like opening. Like I thought it like went way too long with like its a uh, backstory from the past or whatever. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, the second, the 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 last uh, two thirds of it uh, were were fine horror movie. Um, yeah. So. Um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to number two. All right, so number two on your list is Chanwook Park's Thirst. It stars Kang Ho Song, OK Bin, 
and Hakin Shin has an 81% from audiences. Sorry, critics and a 75% from audiences. Um, so why is this number two on the list for you? Um, I mean, I think this is just a really, even though it's a kind of overly long movie, I think in some ways, um, I think it's a pretty beautiful film. Um, I'm a pretty, pretty big fan of, uh, Park Chan-wook. Um, so I was super excited when this movie came out. Like I, this was maybe my most anticipated movie of the year, honestly, um, before it released. And I think it does some things really well from, I think when you see Asian, so it's a vampire movie. We'll just get that out of the way. I think when you see Asian vampire movies, generally, um, they're kind of goofy, you know, it's like the, um, uh, like those hopping Chinese vampire movies or they're flying all over the place, like superheroes kind of there's, there's not many. I have not seen many, or they're very rooted in like specific Asian myth, which is a lot different than our Western vampire myth. So I think to see like an actual like Western vampire tale, but set in like, you know, an Asian setting, I think is really interesting. Um, I think it's got some really good performances. Like I like um, Song Kang Ho and Kim Ok Min, and um, I think the story, even though it's like again overly long at some points, um, and we'll talk about that. Um, I still think it's a really interesting story, and it's maybe one of my favorite endings um, of a vampire movie movie ever. Like I'd put it on par with like Near Dark, maybe, and um, yeah, just really good. So. I don't know how much you want me to really describe like the deep details of this plot, but basically yeah. Sang Sang Hyun um is a priest that becomes infected with vampirism. Um and as a result, like he gains these healing powers, so he becomes really famous. And through his fame, he's reunited with a childhood friend and his wife. Um, and he and the wife become enamored of each other, and she's really drawn to him um and they kind of start an affair um and she tells him that her husband is abusing her basically and convinces him to kill her husband i know i'm skipping over like a lot of stuff up yeah Um, it's 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 a really involved plot so it makes sense to skip some so which um which he does so they kill the husband and bury him at the bottom of a lake um and then they start to see the like i guess the phantom of the husband is kind of like haunting them. Um, so, um, the mother, his, the Sang Young like moves into their basement and the mother is like suspicious. Um, I'm trying to think. So eventually he turns Teju, the wife, um, into a vampire um, because she feels guilty, I guess, because they killed her husband. So he breaks her neck um, and then starts to feed on her blood. But then he realizes that he, like, doesn't want to be without her. So he turns her into a vampire. Um, 
and the mother-in-law kind of witnesses all this. Um, so, and this is this is the part where I think this movie like really kind of like starts to excel in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So when Teju comes back, she's like a vicious vampire where um, Sang-hyun had tried to kind of suppress his animalistic urges and only feed on like comatose patients or animals or whatever. Like she firmly embraces um, the idea that she's better than humans and she wants to kill people. So, you know, they have this like ethical dilemma between the two of them. Um, And Mrs. Ra um, is able to communicate to uh, her friends that, um, it's Sang-hyun and uh, Teju that killed her son. So Teju ends up, like, murdering um, all of them. So Sang-hyun realizes at this point, or murdering two of them, one of them escapes. So Sang-hyun realizes that he has to stop it, so he convinces her that um, um, they need to, like, run away. So they get in the car, they put Mrs., they put the mother-in-law in the, the um, backseat in the backseat and because she's paralyzed and they flee Mm -hmm. um so he ends up taking her like to this cliff under the auspices that they're running away together um in the middle of the night and when she wakes up she realizes that they're just on this like open cliff next to the sea where this like the sun is coming up and there's absolutely nowhere to hide and there's this really great sequence where she tries to, um, uh, she tries to like get under the car, and he pulls her out like from under the car, and she tries to um, get in the trunk, and he pulls her out, and eventually they kind of both get resigned, and they sort of lay on the hood of the car and embrace each other, and um, Mrs. Ra, who's still paralyzed in the back seat, watches them like burn to death as the sun comes up, and smiles. Um, yeah. So. There's a lot of things that I skipped over in this movie, too, because there's a lot of, like, there's a subplot where the guy who's Sung Hyun's, like, master at the monastery wants to use vampire blood so he can, like, cure his eyes, and there's a whole lot of subplot with um, the relationship between, um, uh, what's her name, Teju and her husband, and why she's unhappy and why she's trying to, like, you know, get Sejun to kind of take her away from him. Um, Like I said in the beginning, I think it's really interesting to see this very specific and unique perspective on a Western vampire tale and have it not be like a traditional like Eastern vampire tale. And I think it was really well done. Um, I think the performances are pretty great in it. I think there's a lot of this movie that looks like absolutely beautiful. Um, I really think that ending is super clever and it's actually, by the time you get to that point, it's a little bit, um, heartbreaking kind of, you know, that, you know, that they still are actually, there is affection between the two of them, despite the fact that like basically their entire relationship has been built on lies. Um, and I like that, like them dying together. Like, I think that's a really clever thing. Um, the vampire suicide where he's, you know, kind of dragged her into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you probably can cut 20 minutes out of this movie and it's a much better movie. Um, 
like I don't know if that the the monastery subplot even needs to be in there really. Right. I don't know how much that accomplishes, and that's what like probably thirty minutes of the movie dealing mm-hmm. with all that stuff. Um, I think that the focus on them together is a much more interesting um subplot and i especially think that her like kind of coming into her own as this you know murderous like remorseless creature is really interesting um and him being this kind of almost like timid like reticent vampire where he doesn't even you know kind of um um interview with a vampire like the opening portion of that where what's his name um what's list what what's Brad Pitt's Louis yeah, where he like refuses to eat like a human, but he only wants mm-hmm. to eat rats. And shit. Like that kind of stuff is interesting to me, right? Like the idea that these vampires could, you know, again, like they're extra normal, but they're still like human in terms of how they look. So can they really, like, what kind of emotion can they have, or what kind of morals exist there? And I think all the best vampire movies sort of tackle that ideology where it's more interesting to think about someone that was once human. And now that you have this power, like, what do you do with it? As opposed to the idea of like, just, you know, the sexiness of a vampire, which is what I think most Western vampire movies go for. Mm -hmm. It also does remind me a little bit of near dark in that respect too. Um, Not that there's anything really even like thematic or, um, but just the, like they don't live in like it's not like a nice world that they live in like they don't live in a nice house and you know there's like alleys and it's dark a lot and i don't know i just really like the look of the movie and i love the way the house looks after he paints everything white Mm. Uh, i think that's a really great like aesthetic in that movie and it leads to a couple of really cool scenes yeah i didn't know this was based off of like loosely based off a book um until way like a week after i watched it um it's based off an emil zola book um yeah Therese arkeen uh which i've never read but um i I like looked skim through the plot of it and it was like okay i see where he's going um the way you describe it makes it to sounds much more interesting than um watching a lot of it yeah um i thought that the first i I th- I think that a lot of the time needs to be cut off the beginning of that movie. I, I agree. I-, I think it gets it's way too slow getting into some of the more pertinent, like into that relationship, really. Yeah. Um, and and that's where you need to do probably the most trimming work. Uh, like I think I get it thematically, like what they're trying to do subtextually, blah, blah blah. Like you know, with that plot line, but I think as a movie, it slows it down. Um, so which is a bad place for it to be slow is in the beginning. Um, but there is a lot of like really good things. And I agree. It's like one of the like best, like last scenes, like in a vampire movie, um, in a lot of ways. Um, I really thought it picked up after she's turned into a vampire. Um, it really starts like moving at that point. Um, but it's still good. It reminds me a little bit of like, uh, pay, not for plot standpoint, but like pacing standpoint of like something like Martin, um like like in the middle of the movie kind of and uh so it's not not my my favorite movie um it's certainly i think the the 
certainly the second best movie uh definitely you're right like on this list uh beautiful looking of course because of who yeah. directed it um and the cinematography is 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 uh uh really well done um so it's a, it's a beautiful looking movie um it's it's just a shame that it like starts out so slow because it really does get moving at some point and um turn into a, a good movie um, um by the end I, I was thinking about this the other day like don't make him like a monk or whatever and make him a doctor and you mm-hmm. can tell the exact same story sure and cut so much of that movie out of it uh-huh. and i think it's still i don't think it loses a single thing um Except, I guess maybe, was he ever a holy man to begin with? I guess is one of the questions that you can ask. And he, you know, does it really matter that he's not willing to, doesn't it just mean that he's a coward, that he's not willing to like eat people if he's immediately willing to go into an extramarital affair with this woman? Like, does that even mean that his morals like mattered at all? You know what I mean? Right. Right. I, I think there's some interesting questions that come from him being a, a monk or whatever, a priest. Um, but I don't think that it matters that much where you couldn't ask those questions anyway, just from him being a human being, you know? Right. So, right. But anyway, it's, um, I was so excited to see this movie and I think it kind of colored my opinion of it because I really loved it when I saw it. Um, I still think it's a really good movie and I think that, um, I think you know, Park Chan-wook is always going to be interesting to see or to watch his films uh, when you have the chance, mm-hmm. but you know, not, not like one of his like masterpieces or whatever, but still good. Did yeah. you ever see, um, Stoker? No. Stoker's really good. You should, it's free on Amazon. I think you should watch that. That was his follow up to this. I think, I think that was the movie that came out after this. Uh, that is, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman, right? Is that right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Did it? No, I never, it wasn't free when you first told me about it and I never ended up, um. It's randomly not free all the time. Like it's every once in a while you'll just see it and it's free somewhere. Okay. It's, Hulu, it's, it's Hulu right now. now. Yeah. It's Hulu. Yeah. Oh, uh, hold on. Did I watch this? No, I did not. Um, yeah, I'll check it out. <clears throat> I think you'll enjoy it. I mean, it's um, I don't know what it's like inspired by, but it's 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 good. Oh, that's interesting. Wentworth Miller wrote it. Huh. Yeah, it's very very western in that respect. Yeah. Um, Chen Wook is one of the few people that I think actually really excels at like culturally crossing over. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, this is actually the movie directly after Thirst. And then he does Snowpiercer. Right. Which I really enjoy. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I did like Snowpiercer. Yep. All right. Um, that up later about that stuff um number one on the list uh we have talked about before way back in episode 70 um of the podcast the top five horror movies featuring cults which is from april 2020 um like right at the beginning of covid um 
is The House of the Devil, directed by Ty West. The stars Jocelyn Donahue, Greta Gerwig, um, who who knew she would be the biggest damn star out of everybody here. Um, Tom Noonan and Mary Warnoff. Um, it has an 85% from critics and a 63% from audiences. So you want to remind us a little bit about this movie and um, why it's number one on the list here. Um, very evocative of early 80s um, horror in terms of like the cinematography and just the setup and kind of playing off the satanic panic um, from the early 80s. Um, it's about a girl who takes a babysitting job um, that turns out to be for a... Um, family of cultists that's trying to um, basically give birth to the devil through her. Um, she ends up uh, taking out a couple of them, escaping the house. Um, af- but after having a ceremony performed on her, um, when she's confronted by Tom Noonan and, you know, where he's trying to get her to come back and she realizes that killing him does nothing. It's killing herself that takes out the, you know, basically like foils their plot. She tries to do that, but she fails. And um, the last scene of the movie is her recovering in a hospital bed where they tell her, the nurse tells her that both, you know, her and her baby are, are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, implying that she's going to give birth to the Antichrist. Right. Um, really well-filmed, well-acted movie. Um, it's a very competent and... Um, loving ode to to me it feels like I don't know stuff like When a Stranger Calls or um, Black Christmas or like just movies that take place in like kind of a single setting right of the house Um, Jocelyn Donahue as Samantha is fantastic Mm -hmm. Um, Greta Gerwig I I like her in this movie she's not not in very much because she gets um, pretty early, but um, you know, Mary Warnoff, Tom Noonan, uh, who are both kind of counterculture icons, they really work well in those roles um, as the mother and father. Um, I like the fact that it it does something that I'm a huge sucker for, which uses uses photographs to tell a portion of a story. When um, Samantha finds like these old photographs and realizes that there's photographs of the people of another family living in the house with like the same house and the same car, mm-hmm. um, you know, implying that the, um, the almonds or whatever weren't all and Noonan murdered a family to take it. And they actually show that at one point with like their corpses in a room. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really well done movie, really, um, pretty remarkable debut for Ty West. Um, you and I kind of, I think go back and forth on what we think of his follow-ups to the this movie. Um, I think I like, I know that I like one more than you. And um, but anyway, yeah, I I really love um, the sacrament a lot. I I I, I thought that was a really inventive. Um, but it's the innkeepers that we disagree on, right? I think That's the Innkeepers is a really great movie. Right, personally. and I did not like it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think it's yeah. a super effective horror haunted house and haunted person um, movie. Yeah. and then I like I, Sacrament, too. Sacrament's really good. Yeah, I still haven't watched it um, in the Valley of Islands yet. I will at some point. Um, it's, it's a fine, like, modern Western. Um, we'll have to do a quick cage sometime this week because I did eventually watch... Um, 
okay. Butcher's Crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, and very similar in tone to me, where it's like it captures the look of a Western, but I don't know that it necessarily captures the spirit of a Western. Like, it just feels like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like too, too, too influenced by Tarantino, really. Mm. If that makes any sense, unless influenced by like any, or, um, Sergio Leone or whatever. Yeah. And then X I liked, and then I have not watched Pearl yet because you weren't too keen on it, it seems. So I kind of, I just don't get it, I guess. I think I need to watch it again. Like, I don't understand what purpose Pearl serves. I'm going to have to watch whatever the sequel. Maxine. Yeah. Maxine. Yeah. Um, just to see like how I feel about it, but right, yeah, I think Ty West is a pretty talented guy. Yeah, Shack sure, is, is is a really good movie. Yeah, so yeah, um, the, the Devil, hundred percent. Like, yes, yeah, I the, I I flipped out over this movie, and it still like ranks like probably in like uh probably some sort of like top ten, especially certainly of horror um that you've like introduced me to uh through the lists like back in 2020 when i first saw this when it was on a list like um i absolutely like fell in love with this movie and i think it's fantastic and i still do i've probably seen it four times like i probably watched it once a year like since then yeah um and uh the thing uh having watched it so many times now that i just like a little bit of time to spend is the talk about Tom Noonan here. Um, the more I watch this, like as good as like uh you know, Mornoff and um Donahue are like and, and Donahue's fantastic as, as as you know as as this character, but I think everything is predicated on Noonan's performance in this. Um like and a lot of it's in his voice and his facial expressions. And I don't, so it's like he plays the character in such a way that you don't really know if he's just this socially awkward, stressed out guy who's just trying to like, you know, get a night out kind of, or if he's this like, like potentially dangerous sociopath. And he plays such a fine line between being awkward or creepy. And you don't know which one he is, or if he's both at the same time that it really ramps up the um, hesitancy that you feel as a viewer for Donahue's character. Um, and like, and, and it, it builds that like anticipation of like, don't do this. Like, this is like, there's, there's something off here. Like this isn't quite right. Even if he is just socially awkward, this is a bad idea. And she goes along with it and makes that decision. And it's like, if you weren't so kind of like weirded out by Noonan's character and then the, and then when Warnoff comes in, it's like, you're, you're weird out. And it's like, um, I, I really think that performance does a lot for this movie. Um, and I think it had to be very nuanced and very well thought through by that actor. Yeah. Um, and I think it does a lot in service of this movie. Um, and a lot of it's like I said, his voice, even on the phone, it does the same thing. Like he's doing right. the same thing. Um, well, it's got that empty, like greedy quality to it. Yes. Yes. Um, and then it's like you see him and it's like he's sympathetic, but is he really sympathetic? It's it's a really great performance. And I was really kind of taken with him um 
also in late phases where he plays the priest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was a really great performance by Noonan too, and it's um, it's weird that I don't see him in much because you would think he would be more of a if if he can if he can nail like little things like this, you would think he would be getting five minutes, ten minutes of screen time, and a lot more things if he wanted. Um, yeah, he may just be one of those dudes that. I mean, he stars in that Anomalisa movie or whatever, and that was pretty critically lauded. Mm. He might just be one of those guys that works when he wants to work, and yeah, I mean, he does some television too. I know, so who yeah. knows? And he's kind of old, I think, right? Uh, yeah, he's seventy-two now. Yeah, yeah. So he was like still like uh, maybe late fifties, early sixties at this time. Yeah, late fifties, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, absolutely, uh, fantastic movie, uh, horror movie, uh, and um. Yeah, it's it's definitely become one of my favorites. All right, so we are through forty years of horror now. Um, if this is the first time you're ever uh, listening to us, you can go back in the archives and look. Frank has now from nineteen seventy all the way through uh, two thousand and nine now uh, completed in terms of his top five lists. Um, so let's kind of like wrap up the two thousands here, Frank. Like in terms of like uh the 2000s in general what are your key takeaways what's the state of horror um by the end of this decade and whenever we maybe get into the 2010s what is what are we looking forward to at that point i think that i think that these these years especially the past couple really set up the wave of like indie horror that turned into mainstream, like, accepted horror that's happened in the past, whatever, 15 years of our lives. Um, Mm -hmm. Stuff like House of the Devil, um, I think Thirst, um, a lot of the foreign horror, um, like Wreck and Tale of Two Sisters. Well, let um, the right one in, right? I mean, like, that's adapted, you know, right? Um, Just really push to, like, make horror a credible not only from a financial standpoint, because um, everybody looks at Scream as being like this revelatory thing, but in a lot of ways, Scream is just revelatory unto itself. Because um, people love that movie, but then there's a bunch of shit that just comes out after it that nobody really like gives any kind of credence to, which they shouldn't because it's a lot of trash. Um, but I think the I think the 2000s really pushed forward the idea that you could definitely. Um, make a horror movie and have it mean something um, and people would appreciate it. And there's a lot of that stuff. Um, there's some great movies from this decade. You had asked me to put together a personal top five. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that's, it was, it was pretty difficult to do because there was definitely a lot more than five <laughs> that I thought were great. But um, yeah, I think, I think everyone looks back and sees, Babadook and It Follows and The Witch and um, Hereditary and Annihilation and I don't know. There's all these movies like Ari Aster, um, Eggers, Robert Eggers, um, Garland, you know, these guys that are like these powerhouses of modern horror, Mike Flanagan, that are all after 2010. But I think all that shit is built on, you know, this decade 
like kind of establishing the fact that you can you can get a studio to believe that a horror movie can be something successful and something you know that can be critically lauded and i think the best example of that honestly is um parasite you know winning an oscar Mm -hmm. um for being one of the best like psychological horror movies of you know the past couple decades and being like a huge success both commercially and critically so right and that all comes from you know stuff like here like Chanwoo Park making a movie like Thirst, I think, leads to the ability for that movie to exist. Sure. So, do you yeah. want my top five? Uh, or do you have other questions? <laughs> do you want me to have other questions? No, it's fine. You can, uh, I, 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 like, I, I, so I'm good. <laughs> I, um, <clears throat> I think. <laughs> it's really weird because it's like when i like look through and like looked at all like the really good movies of this decade that were on these lists i um i was like looking at some of the other ones and it's like i feel like if i had to take an average of like a give each movie a score like a like a one through ten score and then take an average that the average here might actually be comparable to the 90s like because there are some movies that like even though like it's the best movie of that it, it may be in the top five of that year or something like that the number five and the number four movies just still are just okay they're right six out of tens like you know i mean it's like it, it excuse that average down some and there so there's these really high highs in this decade and these really middling like lows um and there's some really bad shit too that we just never talked about right um i mean shit we didn't even i mean we'll do that next year but it's like we didn't deal with like the biggest like horror franchise of this decade like at all like during this you know um and so it's like i don't really see generally like a a much of an it's an improvement but not much of an improvement from the 90s really um, just in terms of like the middling stuff or the just the, like the decent stuff that's out there, but the highs feel higher to me in the 2000s, I guess, is my kind of like general takeaway in terms of quality. And I see exactly what you're saying about like these being precursors to the uh, to the elevated horror, as they call it, in the 2010s. Right. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, this is definitely the foundation of all of that. Yeah, but um, still a lot of just just shit being put out and i guess it's because it's cheap uh, that's always been your answer to me before it's just cheap to cheap to make it and cheap to put it out it's if you can make a pg-13 horror movie you're guaranteed to make money yeah so or if you can get it on i mean i guess now if you can like get it on hulu or sure. Tubi or whatever i mean why yeah. not do it like sure. Raising a couple hundred thousand dollars to make a movie is not very difficult, you know, for, I mean, whatever. I don't think we could do it, but I feel like it's something that is easy for a lot of people to do. And so if you can make money off of it, why not? Yeah. But, you know, we, so I've given you four movies for the Fresh Five that we're going to do next month, I guess. And there's some stuff there that's just tremendous you know like really great Mm -hmm. well done movies that are low budget and i think i think what the 2010s kind of showed is that 
just like find a thing like a theme or a thing that you want to talk about or it doesn't have to be I don't know over the top or crazy or like you can have like a small idea and if you execute it really well like it can it can be really effective mm-hmm. I mean there's um cosmic horror movies from the past 10 years that are better than anything I think that's ever been filmed in terms of that genre and that's a super difficult genre to do Sure. and I think that taking these directors that may not have put their efforts towards horror movies before and giving them the ability to have like quality actors you know um, with good scripts and like good practical effects I think that it really um, really elevates the genre and I don't know I mean, I've always thought that horror was, you know, it's always been my favorite genre, obviously, but I think it's super important to have horror movies that matter. And I think that, you know, a lot of that comes from these 10 years that we just talked about. Yeah. And yeah. from, you know, outside the U.S. too, like a lot of that sure. Asian culture and European culture, like really elevating the form. And then, you know, the American films that kind of came behind it and, um, sort of did their thing so yeah and just wait 2024 um that ele- that horror is going to get elevated even more because you know who's doing call of cthulhu i do but i can't remember who it is somebody <laughs> it's, I fucking, hate. it's fucking james Wom. Yeah, um i'm curious about that because he's gonna get a huge budget to do it so sure. maybe it'll be good maybe i did did you watch the void right that's one of my favorite cosmic I really liked movies. it, yes. Yep. And that movie could easily be like a Cthulhu movie. Sure. With a couple of slight changes. So, I don't know. I have faith that it can be done. I never thought that that shit could be done, ever. Um, but, you know, Color Out of Space, Mandy, The Black Rainbow, The Void. Um, yeah. A movie that we're going to talk about on the, the Fresh Five has really given me confidence that, like, you truly can make a good cosmic horror, like Lovecraftian horror movie in this, this day and age. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm just not sure. If, especially wasn't that one that whatever. Um, what's your top five for the decade? This is in no particular order. This is honestly, I just wrote, I, yeah. it was really difficult, but um, sure. I went with a uh, Cairo, mm-hmm. um, a tale of two sisters, mm. uh, Calvary, um, mm wreck and house of the devil hmm interesting that you put house of the devil on there and i didn't um and I, was, I i wanted to i wanted to and then devil's rejects was right there and lake mungo was right there yeah. and um what else uh, like i really liked uzumaki a lot um I think Dark Water is a great movie, and I think The Eye is a great movie, and I I love The American Ring. Um, but yeah, when I was looking at it, I was thinking like, what movies have stuck with me the most in terms of like rewatching them and really, and that's why De- Devil's Rejects is like five point five, honestly, in that regard. But um, yeah, I really think that all those movies that I put on there, I think, are really great, influential yeah. movies. So I I had down 
the only thing that I kind of had different that wasn't on like kind of like a short list or like your main list there is American Psycho. But I know I remember you were kind of like stretching a little bit. You thought at the time, including American Psycho earlier in the year, just because it was a bad year for horror overall. Um, So if you include from your list, I would have American Psycho in there. I had Lake Mungo, Wreck, The Devil's Rejects, American Psycho and Cairo. Um, if I take out American Psycho, then I think it's House of the Devil, um, that goes in, but I had Dark Water there as well, like close by. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, Wreck is like one. So, a few things have stood out to me having watched Wreck a number of times now, um, about like this sheet, this, this year of horror that we talked about. How good I think Wreck is, like, has, like, from the first time, like, watching it, like, two years ago to, like, watching it. I, th- I think this was the third time it was been on the podcast, at least the second. But I've watched it three, three times now. Um, Wreck's fucking amazing. It is an amazing found footage movie. Um, the other big surprise to me this year was rewatching 1408. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That was a, that was a big surprise to me um in the sense that like that was a movie i didn't care for really and i still think the ending is like kind of a little weak like like with the shivering and the 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 video call and all that kind of stuff but i really liked like the first like hour of that movie a lot after watching it this time and i was really surprised by it and it was a really it's a it's a good movie um and I was surprised my opinion changed that much. Out of the two new movies that I saw that I probably liked the most that I had never seen before, um, I was going through uh, Dagon, I really liked. Oh, yeah, good movie. Yep. And Midnight Me Train, I think, for that we talked about last month. Um, it's probably <laughs> the other one that really stood out. Oh, you have no idea how, how happy that makes me. <laughs> I'm trying to get you for a fucking decade and a half to watch that goddamn movie. Yeah, that's true. In the A train. Ugh. Wait, 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 wait until I watch Train to Basan in three years. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. Uh-huh. When we do uh, those 2010 movies, you're going to have to. No, sure. <clears throat> we'll see. Um, but yeah, so um, really interesting decade. Um, really kind of uneven decade to me, like overall. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, um, enjoyable as always, and uh, congratulations on forty years now. Um, it'll be a, it'll be a, it'll be hard to see where. Or do we do sixties first, or we do two thousand and tens first? Um, uh, the two thousand tens are more interesting than the sixties. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, There's a lot of stuff in the two thousand tens that we've never really talked about. Mm-hmm. Or that maybe we don't think about that often that are mm-hmm. amazing movies, right? I mean, I I think you're gonna have years that could be like a top like twelve or thirteen easily mm-hmm. in the 2010s, just because so much money and effort starts to go into horror. Yeah, you know, like there's movies in the 2010s that I think are among the best horror movies ever made. I mean, shit, how many times have I watched Midsummer now? Like eight or nine, probably right and i hated that movie the first time i saw it but like i don't know i find something new in it every time and i love it yeah 
Like, I think that movie's The Lighthouse, I think, is a masterpiece. Yes. I mean, Astor, Flanagan, Eggers, Garland, and there's other people in there, too. Yeah, because I don't even think about Flanagan most of the time in terms of his movies, but he's got some really good movies in there in that decade. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, Oculus, and especially, is really good. Sure. Oculus is really good. Um, I know there's some that you don't particularly like. Like Gerald's uh, game, you know, you're not a big fan of, but Doctor Sleep is something you're a big fan of. I don't like Gerald's game because I hate that story. Mm. But I, I think Doctor Sleep, yeah, is an amazing movie. And that uh, Ouija prequel was really good too. Yeah, 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 fantastic, really good movie. I even like the one with Hush, the too. Oh, before before I wake, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the one with the kid, yeah, it, it's good. It's there. There's something about that movie that's weird to me, but um. Um, but I really like Hush too. Hush is like the oh yeah, the, Hush the, is, wo- good. is like one of the best like woman in, like most interesting takes on a woman in peril that like I've seen in a long time. Um, I thought it was really inventive. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there is a lot of good stuff in the 2010s. I'd have to like go through each year, but um. <laughs> So since this is like the last horror podcast of the year, um, I guess like we've kind of hinted at it a couple different places so far. But like next year, um, we are going to take on the uh, task of going through for I think it's like the first like uh, three to three to four months um, of the year. We are going to watch all these Saw movies and talk about them. Um, so we're not necessarily doing uh, the 60s or the 2010s, even though I brought it up, Um, but we are going to do a journey through the Saw movies, which uh, kind of is a continuation of the 2000s in a way um, of looking at like the most popular franchise of that decade um, in terms of horror. Um, One kind of one movie at a time, really overall. Um, But yeah, we'll be starting that in January and running it through May. I suppose, um, of looking at all those movies. Uh, and Frank, you've only seen the first three, is that correct? I feel like I've seen one more randomly. Yeah. But I can't remember it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I have rewatched the first three, as have you. Yes. And I remembered all of them relatively well. And mm-hmm. I still have scenes in my head that have to be from some other Saw. Gotcha. Movie. Yeah, and I've just seen, had seen, well, I've seen one, two, and three now, but I'd only seen one and two and Spiral um, randomly because it was a COVID release. But yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting. A lot of uh, what I'm learning, a lot of like kind of incestuous, uh, production um going on where it's like this guy did the cinematography and then he's directing like movies of Saul later on this guy wrote this thing and then he's doing this and it's like it's just like it's like this really insular kind of backstage production universe of the Saul movies um with some 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 characters there um creating all this stuff through the course of like seriously like six years like seven years or something like that. Like until you get into like Jigsaw and Spiral and yeah, and like it. Do, it's not very long that that universe is like 
in existence um uh when you're just looking at like those core like those first like uh what seven movies or whatever um it's very quickly it's like one a year which is crazy um but yeah so that's what we'll be doing at the beginning of next year um in terms of horror and then next year you also wanted to kind of redo a few 80s or 70s list too right or i sorry not redo next like look at the like the yeah. next top five right next next five sure yeah so that's what we have um, on the docket. But uh, also check out the Fresh Five. Um, number of horror movies on the Fresh Five coming in January as well. So um, any final thoughts, Frank? No, just um, always enjoy doing these lists. Um, I love watching these horror movies again that I might not think about. And going back and digging through like each year and figuring out what the best movies are. So yeah. I really am looking forward to doing them for the 60s and the 2010s. But I think you're going to be really surprised at how good the 2010s are in terms of every year. Yeah, no. Um, the more I think about it, like in terms of what I've seen, you're probably right. Um, I mean, do you think it's comparable to the 70s and 80s then? Or better? Like, mm, I think the overall quality is going to be better. Hmm. Interesting. Um, all right. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with um, uh, episode 200, uh, which is going to end the year, which is the top five films of 1973, 83, 93, and 2003. Uh, We'll we'll talk through um, briefly all of those movies. Um, So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Deuces.